Um, hey, happy Thanksgiving week. Oh, man, what a wonderful week. So we get the excuse this week, especially Thursday, to do what followers of Jesus Christ should do every day of the year. Nonetheless, we are going to fellowship this morning. We're going to study this morning based on this topic, uh, thankfulness. So I hope your heart has been prepared. But whether you are visiting with us this morning or whether you're a regular attender, we're so thankful that God brought you to worship today. So good to see some we have not seen in some time. It's uh, so good to see some families here, some of those visiting with us this morning. I have some, Hannah and I have special friends with us here from Colorado. It's good to see Nate and Lori Babers and the three boys. Um, they, we have so many good memories. Nate and I grew up in uh, high school together back in Colorado. Then we were roommates in college together. Then we were partners in ministry together and youth ministry. And then uh, they serve God in, in just wonderful ways out in Colorado. Uh, and they came to visit this week. So we're so thankful to have them. I know others visiting this morning. It is great to see you. Please take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to kind of veer a little bit away from Romans chapter 6 today. I know you came ready to receive Romans 6 today, and I was excited to speak Romans 6 today, but we're going to take this opportunity over Thanksgiving to kind of remind ourselves of our biblical obligation to be grateful. And so this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning, just a couple quick reminders. I know Chaplain Jim so adequately shared these announcements. It would be great to see all of you here tonight at 5 o'clock. We're just going to have a Thanksgiving feast. Turkey, stuffing, the fixings, all of that uh, in the gym. And it will not be a long time, but if you would want to come and just enjoy some fellowship, this is your time to come. We'll spend a short time in prayer and then just enjoy fellowship. And then, I think Jim already mentioned this, uh, no formal studies throughout this week. A lot of people traveling, a lot of things going on with your families. There will not be formal studies this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Today we will be in Ephesians 5, and we, were going, we are going to talk about this wonderful topic. Distinctly thankful. When you think of this word, distinct, what comes to your mind? In fact, if you were to write down a synonym, so a word that means the same thing on your paper right now, so you have this handout, and I'm going to encourage you to do this. Write down another word for distinct that comes to your mind. Somewhere on that paper, write down another word for distinct that comes to your mind right now. A synonym for that. Distinct means what? Some would say different. How many of you wrote down different? Oh, not as many as I thought. Only the smart ones, right? <laughs> How many would say dissimilar? Okay, two. All right. How many of you would say distinguished? We got one here. We got a taker here. Right, whatever one you put down there, the idea is something different. I mean, in those words that you gave there, yes, they're true. Absolutely correct. This word distinct means noticeably different. It means clearly dissimilar. It means to have some sort of a distinguishing feature. Just like is on 
the screen there, you have a black drop, black backdrop with white words. There is a distinction about the words, the word you see on the screen. A distinguishing mark, something noticeably different. Well, in Ephesians 5, we're going to find today that this is a key argument of the Apostle Paul. What do I mean? Every true believer, the Apostle Paul argues for this, and he makes this point in Ephesians chapter 5. Is every true believer, every regenerate follower of Jesus Christ, every single person that has come to Jesus Christ in saving faith is to be in some way distinct from the unregenerate world. And so right, right away our minds go crazy. <laughs> What does this distinction look like? All right, so right away we need to remind ourselves that this is not talking about weird or irrelevant. (laughs) That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about weirdness or irrelevance based on your personality or your preferences. That's not what this is talking about. But this is talking about, Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about being distinctly different in morality and in manner of life based on what, brothers and sisters in Christ? It is based on the gospel. Based on the fact that Jesus Christ came to save our souls, to redeem us. There ought to be distinguishing marks in the life of every single believer. And that's exactly what Paul is promoting here in Ephesians chapter 5. So before we jump into Ephesians chapter 5, though, we've been in this book a couple times in the last couple months. Do you remember this book? We were talking in our Body Life Sundays. Every Body Life Sunday the last half year, we have been in Ephesians chapter 4. Well, now we're traveling into Ephesians chapter 5. So what do you remember of the book of Ephesians? Obviously written by who? Paul, the Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes this wonderful book as he is in prison in Rome. And that has a lot to say about the distinguishing mark that we're going to look at today. Remember the title on the top of your page. Distinctly what? Thankful. Okay, in our minds we need to remember this is being written by a man who is in prison. And he's writing about the distinction of followers of Jesus Christ, that they are to be thankful. He's writing to a church, a bunch of believers in Ephesus, and as that book was passed to Ephesus, most likely it was meant to be passed all around to the churches in Asia Minor. Minor. What do we know of this Ephesus? Well, you kind of follow on a map, I mean, if that helps you in any way. Ephesus, what do we know of Ephesus? Well, at this time that Paul is writing, it is the capital of Western Asia Minor, and it was an extremely influential, influential town. Academics, politics, economics, all of these things. Ephesus was ex- incredibly influential in this time, but there was another way that this was influential. Ephesus, this town was very influential in what is known as paganism. What are we talking about? If you go to Acts chapter 19 in your Bible, you don't have to go there now, but you find a backdrop to the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. This was a town that was steeped in 
idol worship. If you think about this town, Ephesus, one of the seven uh, modern marvels of the ancient world was here. What was it? It was the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. Idol worship was prevalent here. But brothers and sisters in Christ, it wasn't just any type of idol worship. I mean, if you have read anything about Ephesus and the temple of Diana and Artemis and the way that this, this religion, this paganism was lived out, not only was it lived out in this magical arts type way, but it was lived out in, just to be quite honest, gross fornication. And that was this town. And honestly, when I think about what's happening in our current context of life, the 21st year of the 21st century, the things that are readily accepted in the world we live in today blows my mind. The adultery, the fornication, the things that are so easily embraced by people that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul now is writing to this church, and this is a church that was planted. You probably remember the couple that planted the church here. Their names are in the New Testament quite frequently. Their names are Aquila and Priscilla. They loved God. They were students of the Word. In fact, they took another very godly man and showed him the ways of Jesus. His name was Apollos. Well, Aquila and Priscilla went to Ephesus, and I think different ones think that they were the ones that actually planted the church. Well, what happened after they planted this church? Well, the Apostle Paul himself very clearly states through the book of Acts that he spent three years of his life with this church. I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul who had all these churches all over the known world at the time that he would visit. Three full years of his life he spent teaching this church about Jesus Christ shows you his heartbeat for this church, his love for this church. And after that happened, what happened? who did he leave there? You remember this. Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy, after I've been here for three years, you're going to stick around. Okay, even just thinking about Paul's life and his passion for the church of Ephesus, it shows us that this was a church that Paul deeply cared for. He had personable personal blood, sweat, tears into this church. He had spent three years guiding them in the ways of Jesus Christ. In this world you live in, Church of Ephesus, in all of the debauchery and depravity around you, how is the church of the living God to be different? And that is what Paul says here. He starts out the first three chapters. If you remember the book of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, the first three chapters is very heavily given to doctrinal clarification. It is about theology of salvation. How God came to redeem a sinful, dead soul and to quicken with new life. And he takes three chapters to lay this theological foundation. But this is the beauty of it. The next three chapters in Ephesians are incredibly practical. Paul's saying, this is theology with shoes on. <laughs> okay, you claim to love Jesus Christ and to embrace the Word of God, to live this out. I mean, to, to love theology that God Almighty sent His Son for His glorious grace's sake to redeem sinners and to draw them out, as we just sang, to take a sinner, an enemy, and place him at His 
table. That's what God did by His glorious grace. And so the first three chapters is all about that, but then the next three chapters in the book of Ephesians, very practical. Paul is writing, really, to guard the purity and unity of the church of the living God. That's what's happening in Ephesians. And today we are in Ephesians chapter 5. So we are in a very, very practical part of Ephesians. Theology with shoes on. Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul makes this argument that every regenerate follower of Christ is to be that word distinct from the unregenerate world. This distinction, I might state again, is not simply a theological or doctrinal distinction. It is a practical, moral distinction that reaches deep into every decision we make every day of our lives. And we will see today that this distinction works itself into the very words that we say. Let's see this come alive, this distinction in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read this. Would you follow along with me? Uh, I'll just read these out. I'm going to read the verse tw- verses 1 through 21. Sometimes we take longer passages of scriptures. Please do your best to follow along. Uh, as I read this, would you intentionally note the distinction that is made here between an unregenerate person and a regenerate person? What change should the gospel make in our day-in, day-out lives? Um, if you want to highlight anything or circle anything, circle the word but, B-U-T, because you're going to find it come up all through this text, setting up this distinction. All right, I'm going to start in verse 1. Very practically, Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Here's the first but. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints and ones made holy. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But here it is. The next but sets for us a distinguishing mark of the believer. Here it is. But instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. I mean, this is a quick time out. In my mind, if I were to write this, this would be, you know, the epistle to the church of Ephesus. And Obviously, I wouldn't be directed by the Holy Spirit because this is clearly directed by the Holy Spirit. I would have thought of probably 10, 15, 20 other things to say other than that. Don't talk this way, but be thankful. Okay, how do we get to that? Well, that's what we're going to be discussing today, but let's continue on verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, so there's some, we really need to talk about this for a second. 
This is someone who lived this way and has not found forgiveness through repentant faith in Jesus Christ, okay? In other words, this is describing a person that's not saved in this verse. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. And in other words, as you go to chapter 2, he's told you, you've already been taken away from this wrath because of salvation. All right, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here it is, this imperative. Walk as children of light, verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's another but. But instead, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things, of the things that they do in secret. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible. Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and he quotes Isaiah 60, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Quick time out. This is exactly what we're talking about in Romans chapter 6, if you've been here the last couple weeks. To walk in newness of life. Paul is talking about walking in newness of life. Back to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Another word for debauchery is reckless or wild or out of control. Don't be out of control. What's the adverse of this? But be filled with the Spirit, addressing or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, here we come again to the topic at hand, giving Thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of the reverence, out of reverence for Christ. And then we see the very practical distinction to be lived out in our home lives in the rest of chapter 5. What is this? I mean, you, you read that chapter. I don't know if you're like me this week, and I'm like, Lord, do you really want me to share this on Sunday? <laughs> you read that chapter, and you're like, this? This is ugly. The way this is described, and then to see, though, the beauty of the believer that is called to live differently in this world. Among the key truths promoted in this text, you cannot get away from this key truth. God's children are expected to be distinct. Who are God's children? Well, this is talking of true believers, those who by faith have repented from their sins, have been redeemed, have been forgiven, have been rescued, have been saved. The first three chapters of Ephesians tell you exactly who these children are. 
And then verses 1 and 2 tell us more of these children. If you look at me again at verses 1 and 2, therefore, be imitators or mimickers or copycats of God as beloved children. And walk in love so as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So in other words, mimic God by living out the love of Christ in a broken and unregenerate world. Uh, in our home right now, our little three-year-old thinks it's really funny to try to copy what her sister does. And you know how fastly that just goes down. <laughs> Stop, Emma. Stop, Emma. No, I mean it, Emma. No, I mean it, Emma. You know what I'm talking about. Before you know it, there's like almost comes to fist blows sometimes. They're copying. Well, in a good sense, brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we to do? What is our call? He says this in verse 1. There's no hiding it. Paul says, be mimickers of God as beloved children and walk in love. This love is not a self-saturated, self-consumed love. This is a self-sacrificing love that we find so beautifully distinguished in the Scriptures, so beautifully distinguished in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, God's children are expected to be distinct. It's not denying, I mean, there's no denying this. As you go through this chapter, you noted the, the buts in this chapter, Right? Verse 3, but, verse 4, but instead, verse 8, for at one time, and by the way, on the back of your handout, I underlined these, so you could see them. These are the distinguishing marks here in this chapter. Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is wildness or debauchery, recklessness, but be filled with the Spirit. So then the question that comes to my mind is, okay, Paul, how? How does this work? How does this look? And this is so curious to me that Paul focuses so much of the attention through this Spirit in this passage on our communication, how we talk. How are you going to show a distinction in the world you live in? It is not by being weird. <laughs> There's plenty of that to go around. It is not by being intentionally irrelevant. How are we going to show that we are different from the world around us? It is clear in this text. actually starts in the end of chapter 4, travels into chapter 5, that how we're going to show that we're distinct from the world is how we communicate. A manner and means of communication. Every word that comes out of believers' mouths should show that they are Jesus' people. Practically, these are not words, just words spoken, but think about this. In the communication age that we live in, how do you communicate? Some of you don't say much at all, all through the day, through words, but you say volumes through social media or texts, or some of the quietest people write the longest emails. I know, 
All right. A lot of communication happens, and it doesn't just happen in words, spoken words. Clearly, this text is referring to spoken words. But when we think about the 21st year, the 21st century, we communicate in so many different ways. Spoken words, written words, text, posts, snaps, all of the above. How do we communicate? By the way, just a quick note. Right now, in your mind, think about someone in your life that you've talked to. And within the first two minutes, you didn't know this person. It was a stranger. And within two minutes of talking to this person, you knew that there was a really good possibility that this person was a follower of Jesus. Have you ever been there? Some random person you run into. For me, they're all over the soccer field. I'll run into someone on the soccer field. This happened this summer. And I started carrying on a conversation, Hannah and I, with this dude. And it was funny because we started talking. And you know those feelers come out. And we start talking. And I, I'm going to tell you, probably within a minute or two, I'm like, this is a Jesus dude. And before we know it, sure enough, this is a follower of Jesus Christ. And how could I tell? A lot of times it was because of how they talked. Not just what they talked about, but how they talked. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this text. So this morning, let's take the remainder of our time and, and really put some, some shoes on this. I keep talking about shoes. I like shoes. I like theology with shoes, all right? It's in very practical nature. How does this look, okay? So if the body of Christ is to be distinct in how we talk, what are the particulars? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because that's the first point the Apostle Paul makes here in verse 3. Would you look with me at verse 3? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Verse 4, let there be neither filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Clearly, God's children are expected to be distinct in their communication. How? By refusing to participate in corrupt communication. And I've been praying this often as... The psalmist prays, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Guard the door of my lips. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's very clear in the text. But clearly, the true believer is to refuse to participate in the morally corrupt communication of the unregenerate world around them. And clearly, it says, don't let this even be named among you. What are we talking about? Certainly don't involve yourself in these things. That's like a no-brainer, right? Christians should not be involved in these things. But even beyond that, the thought seems to be in this text that believers shouldn't even casually make these things part of a regular discussion. Or even entering regularly into this discussion. Since these things are an offense to the holiness of God, there is no room for unconcerned, nonchalant, casual discussions about them in the body of Christ. Don't get caught up in regular discussion about things that are an offense to God and realize and think that they're not that big of a deal because they are a massive deal to God Almighty. 
In addition, the believer is to refuse communication in regard to not just sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness, but three other things. Would you notice this? Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. So really, there's six things that the, the believer should be not let be named among them. Sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. And those two go hand in hand. And by the way, covetousness works right into sexual immorality. Why? Because it's wanting more than you should have and what God has granted. I want more. I want more. I want more. Well, that's not God's plan. You can't have that. God has designed it a certain way. I mean, when we talk about uh, activity and intimacy in that way, it is beautiful when you follow God's design. And what covetousness is saying, I want it, but I don't want to follow God's, God's design in that way. And then he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place in the body of Christ. This is talking about godless obscenities, shameful innuendos, and actually that whole concept of crude joking. It's like hidden wit. That's the word, is wit. In, in our in past vernacular, they'd use the word jesting. This is using words or phrases with hidden immoral meaning. These hidden jokes that you know mean something. What does Paul say about these things in relation to the believer in the church? Very clearly twice. Look at the end of verse 3 and then look at the end of verse 4. He doesn't hide it, my friends. He says, this is not proper among holy ones. That's the word saints. Those who have been made holy. This is not some special group of people, you know, sainted by some church. No, this is those who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. If you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith and you have been justified, guess what? You are a saint. And that really is the whole point of the New Testament. Saints act like it. So yes, we even have saints in this room. We've got Saint Josh. We have Saint Grant. We have Saint Wanda. That's even my mother-in-law. She is a saint. By the way, if there's anybody a saint here, it's my mother-in-law. If you have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, you are a saint. And what is Paul saying here? There's certain things that those who have been made holy should not dwell on in their conversation. And these are those things. They're out of place. What's the simple takeaway today? And really, this isn't the primary focus of the sermon. We're getting there. Man, would you just get there, Andrew? We'll get there in just a second. What is the simple takeaway? Because believers have been rescued by Jesus Christ, they have been forgiven, they have been made heirs with Christ and sealed with the guarantee of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's all in the first three chapters of Ephesians. All of what I just said. Because of that, believers' communication should be distinct from the way the world because God's grace has been so wonderfully seen in our lives, our topics should be different. Our verbiage should be different. Our texts should be different. Our gestures should be different. Our posts should be different. Our snaps should be different. Wherever you want to go in social media, all of the above should be distinct because we are children of King 
Jesus, God Almighty. So the first point to be made in this text is God's children are expected to be distinct in their communication by refusing to participate in corrupting communication. Evil, defiled, debauched communication. Okay? The second point, though, to be made, the adverse of this is very positive. Very positive. I love this. So instead of talking this way, talk this way. And what is the point? How? How do we then talk distinctly? Paul says it here. I'm not making this up in any way. It's right here in the text. So instead of talking one way, talk this way. And what is the this way? With thanksgiving. Okay, so we have this opportunity this week to enjoy, like I said, a holiday, an American holiday, where we give thanks. This is something that should be done every day of our year, right? Especially according to this text. To give thanksgiving. But when it comes to how we talk, brothers and sisters in Christ, there ought to be a clear distinction from the ways of the world and the way we show gratitude with our mouths. How does Paul say this? Well, again, back in verse 3. Uh, actually, I'll just go straight to verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talking or true joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. God's children are expected to be distinct in their communication by actively communicating what? Thankfulness. Okay, so right now you're probably sitting there and you're thinking, Paul, really? Why thankfulness? Why would you go to that? I truly believe as I've worked through this and prayed through this, I truly believe it's because thanksgiving is one of the clearest expressions ever of humble submission and genuine contentment for God and His sovereign plan for my life. How am I going to show that I'm content with what God's doing in my life? I'm going to share thanksgiving. Gratitude is contentment for the way God designed things to be. God, you have a design for this world. And I'm thankful for that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to verbally and regularly express gratitude. When you think about all these sins that are mentioned, they are clearly pushing the limits wanting more than what God has sovereignly and graciously ordained for us to enjoy in His time, in His way. The truth is this, the natural, the unregenerate man will never truly be thankful for God's plan. Catch that. The natural man is never going to truly be thankful for God's plan and God's design. I mean, Paul, talking to the church of Ephesus, this debauchery is all around them. Basically, I believe he's talking about this. You're not going to find people out there that are thankful for God's design and God's plan. They're not going to go to worship at the temple of Diana and then come back and say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. That's just not how it works. The unregenerate person cannot and will not thank God for his design in their lives. Truth is, God's redemptive design was not for self-centered, self-consumed, self-satisfying sexual activities that led to self-centered, self-consumed, and self-satisfying immoral talk. No. Back to verse 1. 
God's redemptive plan includes the self-sacrificing, self-denying, self-giving love of Jesus Christ. All right, if you look further in chapter 5 and into chapter 6, husbands, love your wives as who? Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. This is beautiful. All through every one of our relationships, we are to be grateful. We are to follow God's design of selfless love in Christ. And what is one of the best ways to summarize the believer's passion to follow God's design? Thank you, God. Thank you for the way you designed me and you designed your plan. What tangibly brings all that all of this together, God's design, it is thanksgiving. That is why Paul says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Certainly, I mean, so then I ask, what, what am I to be thankful for? Maybe that's coming across your mind right now. What should I be thankful for? Okay, Paul, that you're, you're speaking in very broad brush terms here. Be thankful. For what? Okay, what, Paul? Well, I certainly think if you go through and just read through all of Ephesians as one letter, you're going to find that we are overwhelmed with the fact that God has saved our souls. You can't read through Ephesians without tears coming to your eyes thinking, I was dead and Christ made me alive. I was a slave. I was, I was, I was an orphan in Ephesians 1. I was an orphan and he made me an heir, Ephesians 2. I was an enemy of God, and now he has made me, uh, really, a participant in his kindness. Thank you, God. We come to this time of our year of thanksgiving, and we sit around this table and we feast. Let our hearts not be driven to just simple, tangible expressions of gratitude at the table. Let us reach deep into our hearts and remember that our primary gratitude is the fact that Jesus Christ saved a sinner like me. I found myself this week with David in Psalm 103. Can write this down. This will be a fun one to meditate on this week. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases in His time. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Who does all of that for you? It is God. My friends here, we have so much to be thankful for. If we want a very clear expression of what gratitude should look like, you just have to travel down to verse 20. You know these verses. Verse 19 says, addressing one another or speaking to one another. These are clear words that we speak. How do we speak? We speak to one another, and this is really good. So we also teach one another with music. That's clear in the scriptures. But we talk to one another here in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That doesn't mean all of Thursday you're just going to talk in lyrics. <laughs> 
at the Thanksgiving table. You're just going to be singing songs back and forth. No, but you find this is the attitude of your heart. The attitude of your heart all through our lives is, thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for giving me eternal hope and steadfast love. And that is the heartbeat of a believer. What should you be thankful for? Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything. Yes, it's in there. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is this saying? My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if God has changed our hearts, what is to make us distinctly different from the world around us? It is to be the thanksgiving that is nonstop in our hearts. Honestly, we live in a life that is so downhearted, a world that is so downhearted. If there's something to complain about, everyone and anyone's going to complain about it. I mean, again, go to social media. You see it all over the place. If you dare, turn on your news. It's a half hour of complaint. Anywhere and everywhere you go, you're going to find complaining. And what is the difference in the life of a believer that we see thanksgiving? And we express thanksgiving to God for everything in our lives. We're talking about the good times and the bad times. Last week in our Thanksgiving time, what did we do? We thanked God for the trials of this last year. A believer and follower of Jesus Christ can do that. We thank God for the good times. We thank God for the bad times. We thank God for the times of abundance. We take, thank God for the times of need. We thank God for the health. We thank God for the sickness. We thank God for the energy. We thank God for the pain. We thank God for the successes. We thank God for the failures. We thank God for encouraging people, and we thank God for challenging people. We thank God. Brothers and sisters in Christ here today, what is the distinguishing mark and communication of the believer? Verse 4, let there, neither let there be filthiness or filthy talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So what? So what? You so graciously sat here for the last 40 minutes and you heard the word of God proclaimed. How is this going to make any difference in your life as you walk out these doors today? I would think you would have to propose this question. By the way, the questions on your handout somehow are the questions I left on from last week about your identity, which is great how that came into play. But those aren't the so what questions for the day. <laughs> Here's the question that we've got to ask ourselves this. Does your communication reveal that you are a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ? The words that you speak, the words that you say, uh, post, the gestures you give, the text you send, do they prove that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? How comfortable are you with the word, the world's words of immoral and vulgar and obscenity? How comfortable are you with talking about that? Or is it something when those words come up, you're just bothered at your core because these are things that Christ died for? 
They are an affront to the holiness of Almighty God. Honestly, this weasels its way so easily into so many areas of our lives. Several years ago, I was just sharing this with our young adults uh, in our prayer time. Several years ago, I was sitting at an Intermountain Pastors Gathering, and we're talking, it wasn't a big gathering, it was probably 10, 10 or so interdenominational pastors, and it wasn't very deep, because we couldn't get that way, um, because clearly we had differences in our theology, uh, but we got together, and I remember one of these guys sitting there, and all of a sudden, like out of the blue, this ridiculous obscenity came out of this pastor's mouth, and I just looked like, wow don't normally expect that and he looked at the rest of the pastors and said yeah I can enjoy God's grace and he just said almost every word in the book around us as a pastor's group just yeah you think that's bad how about this one boom 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 and he just nailed all of them almost and there's several of the pastors that just laughed and like yeah okay and he's like no I can truly appreciate God's grace and say this right in your face and I just wanted to get up and say, okay, yeah, but what about God's word? What does God's word say about this, friend? It so easily makes its way into our lives, and this is such a hard thing for us to navigate through. Yes, we claim the forgiveness of the cross. We have to. My friends, that might be in your life one of the strongest temptations ever to speak these words, to show these obscenities, these gestures, to post these things. That might be the temptation that, is, that has its stronghold in your life right now. But I would say to you, run to the cross. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the grace of the Holy Spirit to guide you through this because clearly a distinction of the follower of Jesus is to not be part of this saw a video that astounded me this week. It was, let's go Brandon being chanted in a church. <laughs> Some of you might uh, have followed this the last month or so. This is, this is not a noble phrase. No matter how you feel politically, this is an expletive Joe Biden. And it was being chanted in a church under the guise of let's go Brandon there's a backstory to this and my head went down and I thought there's no place for that in the church of the living God our speech is to be different it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is you cannot according to the scriptures talk that way And unless you think I'm just pointing my finger at anybody and everybody that talks this way, it's even, it weasels its way into your preaching pastor's heart so quickly. A couple months ago, I was talking to my father-in-law about this. A couple months ago, I came across a pretty funny meme. Did I say that word right? Parasila? Did I say it? Okay, it was a meme. And it, it clearly had jesting in it crude joking in it. And I sent this out to some people. And I was convicted. <laughs> it's in my life too. The temptations of my own heart to examine by God's grace the communication that comes from my life. 
not in a legalistic, like judgmental way, but in a very honest way that says, Jesus has changed my heart. And as Jesus himself says, out of the abundance of the heart, the words come. To see that as God changes my heart, my speech is going to be different. So asking ourselves, does my communication reveal that I am a child of God? That I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Come on, Pastor Andrew, you're just old school. It's not that big of a deal these days. Yeah, but the scriptures, the Bible. I would say another question, and this is really to the point of our Thanksgiving week. Are you distinctly thankful? You. Not the person down the road from you. Not the one at the Thanksgiving feast that talks the most. (laughs) But you. What gratitude will flow from your life today? Sure, we can be disciplined enough to refuse to participate in simple communication But do you intentionally speak words of gratitude at home? Are you known as a thankful person? At church, at school, at work, on the sports field. Ooh, that's so tough. (laughs) What about in your neighborhood? Your neighbors know you. Oh, that's that person that can't help but sharing gratitude for anything and everything. Do you truly participate in the words of gratitude If gratitude is the distinguishing mark of a believer, will you intentionally participate in the words of gratitude this week? Will you be distinctly thankful? As we walk in Christ this week, as we gather with friends and family, let these words cling to us so tightly. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. We come to you as needy people, and I pray today, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do this work of grace in our hearts, that we would realize that the words that come out of our mouth, we will give an account of. I pray that we would be distinctly different from the world we live in by the way we talk, the way we communicate. Thank you for the time we could spend in this powerful passage this morning, the time as we've jumped into Ephesians the last couple months, and it, it corresponds so wonderfully with Romans. Lord, we do not approach this passage in any type of a merit-driven, legalistic way, but we come to this passage today as sinners saved by grace that want to live for you with every decision we make every single day. And so I pray that our communication would indicate that we truly are followers of Jesus Christ. My friends here today, there's no mistake that God brought you here. Honestly, as I was thinking and praying through different passages to share for this Thanksgiving day, I had never deeply jumped into Ephesians 5. I was going through this this week. I was thinking, really, God? (laughs) All of this? But for whatever reason, God Almighty would not let me get away from Ephesians 5. And that through this time period we live in, this world we live in with the brokenness and the complaining and the everybody is upset about something. What should our distinguishing mark be?
as followers of Jesus Christ. We're thankful. We're grateful for God's design and God's plan in our lives. My encouragement to you today as we enter into this closing time of prayer is that you pray God's grace. That you would be distinctly different by the way you share gratitude. There may be some that came here today and you might be saying, as with you know, Pastor Andrew, a lot of that made sense, but not all of it. If I could just summarize the Bible for you right now, here is the Bible. The Bible clearly says that we were born into this world as, as rebels. Scripture calls it sin. Sinned against God, our great creator. This happened in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of your Bibles. But then right away at the beginning of your Bibles, you also see that God Almighty said, I am going to send a rescuer, and that rescuer is Jesus Christ, as you see exposed all the way through your Bible. Jesus Christ came, he was miraculously born, he sinlessly lived, he selflessly ministered, he sacrificially died, but he victoriously rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. And my question for you today, my friend, whatever brought you here to church today, is have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, would today be that day? When you come to Jesus Christ, the scripture is clear, admit that you're a sinner, repent before God for your sin, Admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and call on Him to save you. Would this be, this be the day when you called on Jesus Christ to save your soul? Youngest to oldest here today, would you call on Jesus Christ to save you? If you would like to know more about that, like to talk to someone about that, I would be more than willing to talk with you after this service. There'll be other chaplains at the front of the auditorium and in foyer that would love to talk with you more about this most important topic in your entire life, your relationship with God that you can only have through Jesus Christ. So we come here to close out this service today, Father, and we thank you for your work of grace and showing us this passage today. And I pray, God, that we would find not just the exhortation of this passage, because there is clear exhortation in this passage to talk differently, but we would also find the encouragement of this passage, that we are to be thankful, oh, to be overwhelmed with gratitude for what you're doing in our lives. So let us find today both the exhortation and the encouragement, and I pray today, Father, that this passage would ring true in our lives all week long with every decision we make. Let us, I pray, Father, be distinctly thankful. As we close out this service, Father, with an anthem of praise to you, and we think of the 10,000 reasons to bless your name, I pray that it would overflow from grateful hearts. Thank you for bringing us together for corporate worship today, Father, and we pray this in the name of Jesus.